Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General podcast. I am Al, and today's show is going to be more or less off the cuff, not really very well organized for this episode, so I do apologize if it sounds like I'm speaking off the top of my head because that's what I'm doing. I'm just kind of going off the fly here. But before we begin and get to the main topic of today's show, the first thing I'd like to do is apologize that it's been a while since I've done a show like this. Lately, a lot of my shows have been the 8-bit flashback, 16-bit flashback, or the bargain bin adventures, you know, the, the episodes that are usually pretty easy for me to put together because it's just me playing a video game and recording my thoughts. So a lot of those episodes... There's not a lot of prior planning. The only exception recently has been the 16-bit flashback episode for Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. And that one, I actually took a little more time with that one. I put together a script and edited everything together. So it was a little different than a lot of my video game episodes. If you have a chance, please go watch it on YouTube. I personally like how the episode turned out, and if you watch it, I hope you do as well. But why have I been so busy lately? Well, of course, part of it is the holidays. You know, of course, we had Thanksgiving last month and we've got Christmas coming up. And one of the fun things about being married is you have not one, but two families that you get to celebrate with. Another reason I've been busy, and this ties directly into Point of Insanity Game Studio, is that I am working on a new product for the Afterpeak systemless setting. It is Polynesian themed. It's going to be called Afterpeak Oceana, which is going to focus on running campaigns with a lot of travel on the ocean. Of course, it's going to be set in the Pacific, focusing mainly on Hawaii and Australia, but I'm also covering some of the major islands in between. It's taken a bit longer than I anticipated, and that is because while there's lots of these little island nations in the Pacific, so just trying to think, okay, which ones do I want to cover? And when I did my research on them, I'm trying to think, okay, is there anything interesting I can use? Or should I just make stuff up? But I'm hoping to have that done by the end of the year. I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but if it's not done this year, it should be available in January. Now, speaking of the end of the year, uh, you might, as that time of the year approaches, you might want to go to drivethroughstuff.com, the website that myself and a lot of publishers sell PDFs of our products on. And in some cases, they even sell the print versions of their products as well. Either near the end of this year or early in January, they have their new year, new game sale. So a lot of products are going to be on sale. So if there's a Point of Insanity Game Studio product that you've had your eye on, or maybe if there's a product from another company, another publisher, take a look. Maybe you'll find some products that you're interested in on sale. Another reason that I've been really busy the last month or so, well, this year, my son had his 10th birthday, I had my 40th birthday, and my wife and I celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary. So one of the things we wanted to do is we wanted to take a special vacation. So we had some money saved up. So we went down to Disney World down in Florida. 
So it was our first trip for both of us. It was a lot of fun. I mean, it certainly is interesting going there because, you know, of course, we've seen Travel Channel shows about Disney World and, you know, the various resorts and like, okay, here's some attractions you might want to check out. But when you actually get to go see a place like that for the first time, kind of a special feeling. When we were down there, we stayed at the uh, Disney's Caribbean Beach Resort. It was a mid-priced hotel. So it was it was nice. I mean, the room was comfortable. The decor was good. Uh, the staff was really nice. Price was a little higher than I would normally go for on a vacation. But one of the nice things about the staying at one of the Disney resorts is you got your passes to different attractions on different days. Also, another nice thing was they picked you up at the airport, took you to the resort, helped you get checked in, and they also, at the end of our stay, they took our luggage to the airport and, of course, dropped us off there as well. Also, they had a bus system there, so you didn't have to worry about getting to the resorts. You just went to one of the bus stops on the resort and just waited until the bus with the appropriate attraction came along. So we visited the Magic Kingdom, we visited Epcot, uh, Uni- Hollywood, stu- almost at Universal Studios, but that's a totally different thing. Uh, we went to the Disney's uh, Hollywood Studios Park, Epcot Center, and the Animal Kingdom. So like I said, it was a lot of fun. I really wish I had a pedometer on me, because I really wish I knew how many miles that my family and I walked during that vacation. Many years ago, my mom said that she always wished she had a chance to uh, take my sister and I down there when we were younger, and she was always concerned that we would outgrow it. Though, having been to the Magic Kingdom and some of the other uh, parks down there, I'm not sure if it's something that you can really outgrow. I mean, yeah, they've got, especially in Magic Kingdom, they've got a lot of attractions that are intended for your your younger visitors, you know, five, six years old, but there's definitely a lot of stuff there to keep your older kids amused and your adults. The only problem I would think is if you had a, an exceptionally bratty teenager who, you know, thought, oh, Mickey Mouse, that's so uncool, that's for babies, but my son, he was 10, but he still enjoyed it, like I said, we had a lot of fun. I can't imagine what it must have been like going there in the old days. It's really kind of cool the way that Disney has kept up with technology. When we went down there, we had these fast pass bracelets. So what you could do is you could use that to set up a time for one of the attractions. So instead of waiting in line for 45 minutes to an hour, what you would do is you would set up a a reservation, so to speak, And then you would just come back when it was your time to go on the ride. So that really helped speed up the wait times. They also even had a a phone app for your smartphone that you could use to change your reservations and also see what the waiting time is on the different rides. So that was really cool. With all the pictures I took, I know I took over 400 pictures I can't imagine what it must have been like going there before the days of digital cameras when you really had to be careful with uh, how many pictures you took. 
one of the other things that was cool is they had various photographers at famous landmarks, like, of course, in front of the Cinderella Palace and, you know, other stations in the park. And what you could do is go there, get your picture taken, and then you would uh, touch your FastPass bracelet to a little device that the photographer had. And then what that would do is later you could go to the website and you could download the pictures. So also the FastPass braces, you could use that to hook it up to one of your bank accounts. So if you wanted to buy food or snacks, you just touch that. So in theory, you could go to Disney and in those parks without having to bring money. So good to see Disney has kept up with the times in that regard there. Definitely made our visit a lot easier. This brings me to my next short topic I'd like to discuss, Star Wars. Of course, in pretty much any park we went down there, Star Wars stuff was everywhere. One of my favorite attractions we visited was the Star Tours at Hollywood Studios. What it is, it, well, the, the ride is you're in this little shuttle, and you are, you think you're just going on a peaceful little tour of the galaxy with, hosted by C-3PO, but then R2-D2 shows up, and the Finn guy, John Boygoda's character, he shows up as well, as does the little droid uh, BB-8, I think. It's the little guy that rolls around on the ball. Uh, you might remember I did an episode on the Star Wars 7 trailers a while ago, and, well, yeah, I wasn't too much for that design. But that got me to thinking, because the way the ride works is you're about to launch, and then Darth Vader and a bunch of stormtroopers appear. And they claim that you have a spy on your shuttle. So they want you to surrender that spy. And then uh, the Finn character appears. And, you know, I forgot exactly what he said. But essentially what happens is R2-D2 whips out the laser cannons and starts blasting at the Darth Vader and the stormtroopers. And then for the entire ride, you're flying through different parts of the galaxy. Uh, sometimes, like, I guess there's like several different variations, so it's totally random which order you go. But that was a lot of fun, which got me to thinking. I wonder if they are going to have Darth Vader in the Episode 7 movie. And I know that's something that a lot of people have been speculating on. I, or I might be reading into that too deeply. You know, chill out, Al. It's just a Disney ride. But it's kind of intriguing to think about how the Darth Vader character would appear in Episode 7. I mean, we do know that cloning technology is uh, there in the Star Wars universe. So who's to say that Darth Vader didn't have a clone of himself lying around somewhere? Now, I'd like to revisit the trailers a little bit. I will have to say, now that I've seen some more of the trailers for Episode 7, I have gotten a lot more excited about that movie. And I am going to be seeing it this Saturday. My son, he sold a lot of popcorn for his Cub Scout troop, so he got a couple of free passes to go see that uh, movie on Saturday. So I'm looking forward to that. My only complaint about the trailer so far is that they have John Boygoda's character. I can't remember how his last name is pronounced. It's like Boygoda or Boygoda. I'm, I'm not sure. Finn is the name of the character. But... We already know Finn is going to be using a lightsaber, so we could probably assume that Finn is the first of these new Jedi. Honestly, I don't like how they revealed that in the trailers, 
I mean, I knew that it was either going to be Finn or Rey that was probably going to emerge as one of these new Jedi. But since we see the Finn character using a lightsaber, again, it's safe to assume he's probably going to be the Jedi. We haven't seen Rey use a lightsaber yet. So, like I said, that kind of takes away some of the suspense and some of the anticipation. The space battles I've seen in the trailers look really good, so definitely looking forward to that. So, I don't know, maybe in the future if uh, my friend Dan from Radio Free Borderlands, after he sees Episode 7, you know, maybe we'll do an episode on that. So, stay tuned. On a related but unrelated note, of course there's been speculation as to who all is going to appear in the new movie. And on Facebook, a friend of mine posted a link to a page that had an intriguing fan theory that Jar Jar Binks may have actually been a highly skilled Force user and may actually have been a Sith Lord. And the rationale behind this theory is that, well, you look at some of Jar Jar's moves that he does, it's similar to Drunken Kung Fu, you know, when he does these really high leaps, uh, when he's leaping into the water shortly after he meets up with uh, Qui-Gon Jinn and... Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Also, when he's trying to persuade the Senate, he's doing hand motions, kind of like the Jedi mind trick. We also see him disrespecting Qui-Gon Jinn behind his back, doing this in front of Anakin, as if to teach young Anakin to be disrespectful towards Jedi. So it's an interesting theory. Definitely take a look at it, but the person who uh, wrote this theory was saying that he thought that it's possible that in Episode 2 they may have decided to use that to reveal that Jar Jar was in fact this Dark Lord Sith. But because of the fan reaction that people had on Jar Jar, of course you saw all sorts of anti-Jar Jar stuff um, you know, on the internet around that time. The Onion, they actually had an article too about... Uh, millions of pounds of Jar Jar Binks merchandise clogging up the aisles of stores, so it had to be sold for like a penny each. But, of course, everyone hated Jar Jar. So, when Episode 2 was being written, they may have had to take him out and put Count Doku in his place. So think how that might have turned out if, instead of Yoda fighting Count Doku, he had to fight against Jar Jar Binks. An interesting little theory. On to the main topic of today's show, backup games. Now, what is a backup game? I'm going to describe a scenario, and I'm sure anyone who's hosted games at their house probably has had this happen to them at least once or twice. You're all set. You're ready for game day or game night, whenever you game. Game morning, game afternoon, whatever. You know, you've got your books out, you got the dice out, the minis are ready, and then you get a call from a couple of your gamers, and maybe one person isn't going to be there. Maybe his kid got sick. Maybe someone's going to be late because they're having car problems. Or maybe they got called into work, and they aren't going to be able to get there on time. So what do you do in a situation like that where you've got your gaming stuff out, and you've got maybe some of your gamers there, but some of your players are either not going to be there or aren't going to be there for a while. You might not want to start the campaign right away because 
you know, you don't want to have to bring the people who are late up to speed. Or maybe you're one of those people that doesn't like to do a game session if not everyone's going to be there. Then, of course, there's the opposite situation. What if someone arrives a little too early? For example, maybe you were planning on starting your game session at 2 p.m., but one of your friends thought that he actually, you actually said you were going to start at noon, so he gets there at 11.30. Well, you don't want to kick him out for two hours, so you've got maybe one or two friends there, and you want to find something to do with them until the party starts. Well, that's where backup games come in. Now, there are a couple of old standbys. Video games are always a good backup plan because, you know, usually you don't need a lot of preparation to play them. I remember when one of my old gaming groups, once we got there early or if someone was going to be late and we didn't want to start right away, you know, he had a Sega Genesis in his basement, so we would fire up the Genesis and play video games until we were ready to start. So those are always a good fallback. Another good fallback to have are board games. Because who doesn't like a good board game? Now, of course, board games are a topic that my co-host and I, Steve, discussed many, many months ago, our first episode. Board games today, they might not necessarily be good for backup games because I know there's a lot of games out there that, while they are designed to be played in two or three hour sessions, such as the Firefly board game, and sometimes they take about <laughs> 10 or 20 minutes just to set up. This is where a lot of earlier board games are good because they're usually a lot faster to prepare and get ready. A couple of board games that you might want to pick up at your local thrift store, or maybe see if they're available on eBay for a reasonable price, are HeroQuest and Dragon Strike. Both of these games have that D&D fantasy feel to them, so if you're trying to get in the mood for a fantasy session, they can certainly help. Uh, not only that, they're pretty easy to learn. Now, I know HeroScape, or not HeroScape, I'm sorry, HeroQuest, can involve a little bit of setup because you got the board and you got to set up the scenery, but they do have the scenario booklet, so those are always helpful. And... Dragon Strike is the same where, again, it does require a little bit of advanced preparation, but not much. I mean, both of these games do have scenario books with lots of ideas that you can use for uh, a game session. Another game I'd like to recommend, and it is out of print, so it might be kind of hard to find, but definitely worth it, Star Wars Epic Duels. Now, this game... It's really easy to set up. You just have a board and you pick your, your character. and It's designed to simulate duels between different Star Wars characters. At this time, they were only up to Episode 2. So the only characters you're going to find in there are from the original trilogy and then Episode 1 and 2. So the way this game works is you choose a character like Darth Maul or Luke Skywalker. And that character, each, each character has their own deck of maneuvers. And depending on the character, you have either one minor assistant character or two uh, minor assistant characters. Like, for example, Darth Maul, he has two battle droids. And Luke Skywalker, he has Leia as his, his minor assistant character. 
pretty easy game to pick up on, but still a lot of fun and definitely worth looking into if you have the chance. Card games are also another good idea for a backup game. Not, not just the kind of stuff you would play with a card deck. Collectible card games are usually pretty good. I mean, Magic I remember playing. Not too hard to pick up on. I've played a little bit of Pokemon, and I mean, I know, of course, it can take a while to build a deck, but my experience is a lot of the hardcore Magic players I've gamed with and hung out with over the years usually have three or four pre-built decks anyway. So if you're waiting for someone to show up, then you can just, you know, they could just go ahead and give you a deck and you're ready to go. Plus the nice thing about games like Magic is you can do multiplayer duels. So let's say you got two people that arrive early. Well, you can always just whip out a couple of Magic decks and have a three-way duel. Another option you might want to consider are non-collectible card games. And there's a few of them out there. Some of the ones that I remember playing, Geeks the Convention. I do have a copy of this. Unfortunately, I can't find it, so I wasn't able to review it before I started recording tonight. But it's one of those games that anyone who's been to a major game convention like Gen Con can relate to it. Now, the way Geeks the Convention works is you've got a busload of geeks. And you draw various cards that are divided into four categories. I think they're revolting, uh, horrifying, boring, and scary. I said it's been a while since I played it, so I don't remember exactly which uh, categories there are. But essentially the way the game works is when it's your turn, you can either play a situation card against another player, or you can put a, a game card down. The game cards were divided into one of those four categories, and they were parodies of different games. For example, there was a Pokemon parody called Brokemon. Uh, there was also a D&D parody called Bludgeons and Flagons. So whenever you played one of those cards, everyone had to play a card that matched that card type. And if you couldn't, you lost one of your geeks. So the purpose of the game is to be the last one with geeks remaining. And some of the cards I remember were pretty funny, like there was one card you could play against another player called Angry Girlfriend, and the caption was, So, how's that rare Indonesian stomach flu? So in order to get out of that card, you could play like the Little Brother card, or the Lying Friend card. There were also ones like the Miniature Painting Contest, and I remember the quote on that one was, Would you mind if I manhandled that... A miniature you just spent hours painting with my peanut butter covered fingers. So that's a good one to check out if you have a chance. Another one I'd like to recommend is called Game Design the Shafting. I have a friend, Ben, who runs a company called Eregian Entertainment. So if you want to get a copy of Game Design the Shafting, you have to order it directly through them. I don't think it's available in general retail. The purpose of Game Design the Shafting is you're taking the part of game designers and you have to get a majority share of the gaming market. So the way that works is you, when you draw your cards you get staff members. These are things like the min-maxer, the situationalist, the rules lawyer. Uh, another one that I really liked was the veteran gamer and he was supposed to be the old-school gamer that and as the cards said you can respect his wisdom 
But if you have to hear that story about how his fighter made it through the Tomb of Infinite Evil with two hit points remaining one more time, you're going to shank him with a four-sided die. So it had funny things like that. Uh, and then also to help your, you get along, you had other cards like acceptable artwork, good artwork, or really, really good artwork. And when you played these cards, you would get a certain percentage of the share, the market share. So the game came with 100 tokens, and let's say you did something that got you two points of market share. You would take two of these tokens. I remember helping him play test it at a convention once, and he was just using pennies. But it gets the idea across. So the goal is you want to capture the majority of the market share. So let's say there's two people playing. The first one to get to 51 points wins. There's three people playing. The first one to get to 34 points wins. There were also some humorous cards you could play as well. Like, for example, there's one your game has a fatal with F period, A period, T period, A period, L period, flaw. Uh, look it up if you, have a, if you think you can handle it. Uh, there's a notoriously bad RPG called Fatal. Another one you could do is there was the Never de Been Done Before card, which is you've just created a game about syphilific gerbils from Uranus. Yeah, no one's played it, but would anyone really want to? Another card I remember is you could play a frivolous lawsuit against one of your other players. And I remember we had all sorts of fun making up different lawsuits, like one of them is we, you know, we, we copyrighted or trademarked the letter A, so now you, know, you had a frivolous lawsuit against another player, meaning that you know, you're suing them because they use the letter A in their books. So all sorts of fun stuff like that. It's a really fun game and not too difficult to catch up on as well. Now there are some role-playing games that also make very good backup games as well. These are games that are good for both one-shot gaming sessions as well as long-term campaigns. For example, Basic D&D. That's always a good game to have on hand because character generation for Basic D&D really simple. Just roll up your stats, roll up your gold, buy your equipment, you're set to go. No messing around with selecting powers and feats and skills and all that other stuff that you do in the later versions of D&D. Again, fairly easy to catch on to. And if you just want to do a very simple dungeon crawl, it really doesn't take a lot of effort to put one of those together. Another game I recommend, if you can find it, is TSR's Marvel Superheroes. Specifically, I'd recommend the basic set. They did eventually come out with an advanced set, but in my opinion, the basic Marvel superheroes is better than the advanced Marvel superheroes. One of the reasons that I think this is a good backup game to have is first, for a new player, it's super simple. All you have to do is say, this is what I'm doing. And then the game master would say, like, okay, that'll require a strength feat or an agility feat. And then the player just rolls the percentage dice. And then you consult a chart to see whether you got a white result, which fails, a green result, which will succeed for most normal actions, a yellow result, which is usually going to produce 
a little bit better effect or might be needed for uh, more difficult or complex actions. And finally, red, which is usually going to be a critical success. So again, very fun game. Definitely something you can do for long term. But the reason it's good for one shot is because you can run a scenario with it with very little preparation. And that's not going to really take a lot of time. The basic set contains several cards of various Marvel NPCs. And it also has a book with Marvel NPCs as well. So you might decide, okay, uh, one player might decide he wants to be Spider-Man. Another person wants to be Wolverine. Another person wants to be Captain America. So you could just say, okay, uh, we've got Wolverine, Spider-Man, and Captain America. Okay, let's look through the book here. You guys are going to fight the Abomination, a Dreadnought, and the Green Goblin. So then you just do that little scenario. So that's something that can be a lot of fun. And like I said, doesn't take a lot of preparation. Very easy to catch on to. Another game I'd like to recommend as a good backup game is Dream Park. Now the story behind Dream Park is it's based on a series of novels. And Dream Park is a futuristic live-action role-playing park. Not going to get into the specifics of it, but the system is, real, is pretty easy to learn. Character generation is fairly flexible, though the core rulebook does have several character cards with pre-generated characters. So if you don't want to go through the character generation process, you can just give each of your players a card and then put them through a scenario. And again, just by its very nature, equally appropriate for long-term campaigns as well as one-shot game sessions. Two other ideas that you can use for backups, and these are both good ideas because if you're going to have a game session, chances are you've got your miniatures and your dice and your reference books out already. One thing that my friends and I used to do when we were playing second edition, if let's say we wanted to take a break from our campaign, or again we were in a situation where a few people were either late or not going to show up, we did what we called a monster mash. And what you would do is, well, we each got a certain number of experience points. I think we usually used like 50,000. And then what we would do is we would buy an army of monsters using that experience points. So you would look through the, the monster manual. So let's say that you saw a monster worth 10,000 experience points. You know, you could choose five of those if you wanted to, or 10 monsters worth 5,000 experience points. So you would build this miniature army, and then we would just go at it and, and fight. Another idea that you can do is a reverse dungeon crawl. This is where the game master sets up a, a layer or a map of some kind of a dungeon, and the game master is actually playing the adventurers, and the players are playing a group of monsters, you know, kobolds, orcs, whatever's in the dungeon. So the player's objective is going to be to, of course, kill the adventurers, while the game master, his objective is to find a treasure or just kill all the monsters. So like I said, those are both some interesting ideas because chances are you've got your minis and dice and books ready anyway. So if you're not going to do your main campaign, no big deal because you've already got the stuff you're going to need there. Oh yes, uh, another card game I'd like to recommend if you can find it. I mean, trivia games can always be a lot of fun. 
uh, if you got like a copy of Trivial Pursuit, and I know of course there's tons of different variations of Trivial Pursuit. Uh, they've got expansion cards. I know that. Well, I've also got the Lord of the Rings and the Star Wars Trivial Pursuits. So what you can do is just pass the time by asking each other the questions. Finally, another card game I'd like to recommend is during the days of second edition, they released a D&D trivia game. And it had some questions that, well, were actually very practical and helpful to know for a game session. Like, for example, one of the cards I remember, it had a question, a wizard sees a troll approaching. He's going to cast Melf's Acid Arrow. What material components does he need? And I suppose if you wanted to, you could just even crack open your copy of your player's handbook and use trivia questions there, like, you're going to cast Fireball. What material components do you need? You're going to cast a Sleep Spell. What type of material components do you need for that? Another question I remember from that card game is, what are some of the most overlooked treasures by adventurers? And the answer to that was rugs, tapestries, and sculpture. Because these things can all be very valuable, but, well, it's kind of hard to lug around a 10 by 10 foot tapestry in a dungeon, even if you do have a few bags of holding. Well, that ends this topic. I hope you enjoyed the topic and got some ideas for things you can do if you know you're maybe you've got a couple players that arrive really early or you don't want to do your normal game session because a few people aren't going to be there so please feel free to contact me through my website poigamestudio.com if you have ideas for topics you'd like to see me explore in the future again you can either contact me through the website or you can go to the Facebook page and leave a comment thanks again for listening have a good morning or evening or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming.